I am also excited about today's message. This is something that's been on my heart for a really long time. And I want to share with you today um, about just a, a simple concept. Uh, we all know it. We've all heard about it. We all know the word. And we also know uh, when, when it's been damaged in our life. I want to talk this morning about, about dignity. I believe that I believe that a part of the primary work of God in our life really is a restoration of the dignity that he created us uh, with, the dignity that he created all of us to walk in and to live in. How many of you, have you ever, have you ever had something like really embarrassing happen to you? Like really embarrassing, humiliating, embarrassing? Okay, there's a few people. To, how, are there anybody here that, have you, some, have, you, have you ever like said something that was so stupid? <laughs> or there's, a, there's a few of you. Base that you stuck your foot in your mouth. I mean, you were, yeah, there's a, say things that you're like, heard a few. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's really true is some of you have heard me say things that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you said that. It, it really does. It happens to me a lot, too often, actually. Uh, sometimes I've had people say to me, Pastor Andy, it, uh, they, they're sometimes shocked because when I'm on stage, uh, when I'm up and I'm preaching or I'm teaching, I'm able uh, to do that relatively comfortably. The Lord uh, gave me that. But like off stage, when I'm not or when I'm not teaching or preaching or whatever, I'm actually uh, my personality type is actually more introverted. I'm uh, what some people might call more of a shy person, and um, and people have sometimes said to me, it's it's surprising to me that you're shy because uh, usually pastors are these big bubbly personalities and outgoing personalities, and that's that's not just that's not what comes natural to me. And a part of the reason why is because in social settings, I more often than not stick my foot in my mouth, and so I've learned. I was pretty talkative as a kid, but I've learned to just be quiet because I say crazy things sometimes. We've all had those experiences. We can all relate to those times when embarrassing things have happened. But we can also all relate to times when it goes beyond just an embarrassing moment or something that we laugh at ourselves about. But when really our personhood, really, really who we are, our dignity, really is assaulted or attacked. And, and sometimes, sometimes that happens just because life happens and it's things beyond our control. But sometimes it happens because... Another person really goes after us. Have you ever had anybody really go after you? At work, a family member, in life. They really go after you and, and they really attack your identity. They really attack your personhood. And those times mark our lives. Those times really make a difference in who we are. I think, I think we can all relate to our dignity being threatened or stolen because I believe it's a part of uh, the human condition. The human condition really uh, relates to or understands that our identity has been attacked by our enemy, the enemy of our soul. We all wrestle with insecurities. We all get trapped in a cycle of trying to define our worth and our value. And I, and I believe that's because our all of our common father, Adam, and our our mother Eve all passed on to us the sting of human nature or the sting of, of sin nature. Every one of us in this room, whether we know it, whether we're conscious of it or not, 
every one of us have been bent over by the weight of our sin and the weight of the sins of our, our mothers and our fathers. Every, no matter how much we work, securities and fears, and no matter in our own might, we can never straighten ourselves up right. All of us, all of us struggle with the idea that we have been created in the image of God, and yet so often we struggle with our own self-image. Hello, am I by myself today? No matter the clothes we wear, the life we lead, no matter the job we have, the person we're married to, or, 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 or the person we're dating, or no matter how much we embrace our singleness, no matter how strong we are in our career, all of us wrestle with our self-image, and it always seems like there is almost this collusion of the world around me and sometimes even the people around me to attack and go after that image that I have of myself. You see today, the story of man is one of dignity surrendered and of surrender recovering it. That really is the gospel. That really is the story of the Bible. If I, if I could sum it up in one statement, it is the story of man surrendering its dignity, and it is the story of the surrender of Jesus recovering our dignity for us. And, and that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the fact that you and I are constantly stuck in a cycle in which sin and our sin nature and human nature keeps us in this place of over and over and over again seeming to give up, surrender our dignity. And yet Jesus is here constantly in our life to bring back to us the dignity with with which God has created us. Our father Adam and our mother Eve willingly surrendered the splendor and the glory of, of what it means to be created in the image of God. They surrendered it. They gave it up all because they wanted to, they wanted to cross that line, right? The only line, the only boundary that they were given was do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in their minds and in their heart, they could not accept they could not accept that it was only good on this side of the boundary and what was on the other side of the boundary wasn't for them. That temptation, that first temptation to say what I want, I want what I cannot have. I want what is not good for me. I know better. That temptation was one that we all struggle with. They believed the lie that the boundary that God had created for them, they believed the lie that it was not for their good. They believed that that boundary that God had created for them was really a barricade that was keeping them from something better. And in believing that lie, they became slaves to sin and they cycle of being trapped as slaves to sin. We all, we know that language here at North Place because for the last couple of months, I keep bringing us back to the book of Romans. And so I trust during your daily 20, you've been reading the book of Romans. And as you read the book of Romans, you, you, you hear that language about being a slave to sin. You remember in Romans chapter 6, which I'd encourage you to read during your daily 20, Paul talks specifically about what it is that we're a slave to. That whatever we give ourselves to, we become a slave to that 
thing. Our dignity is tied to that thing. I want to encourage you uh, this month, keep reading the book of Romans because it is a gold mine. Go back to Romans chapter 6. You may say, Pastor, you've already had us read that. Go back to it again because it's a gold mine. We keep digging in. You see Paul talking about what it means to be a slave to sin, but the concept of slavery and being a slave to sin and the connection between what we give ourselves to and our self-image, our dignity, it didn't originate with Paul. That, that language really was in Scripture from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3 forward. That theme has been there. Jesus talked about it specifically in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. The Bible says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. North Place is a disciple-making community. That's who we are. Here's the key to discipleship. What is it? Abide in my word. What we've all learned in our discipleship pathway is to figure out really the answer to two simple questions. What is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? That is the basis of how we make disciples here at North Place because it is how Jesus said that we become disciples. What is he saying to me and what am I going to do about it? That's what abiding means. Those who abide in my word, these are truly my disciples. And then get this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, there's a connection between freedom and dignity, slavery, and being a true disciple of Jesus and knowing his word. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen, this is what it says. It says, they answered him. These are the religious. These are the people who were Jewish, and yet they had began to believe in Jesus. They answered him and they said, we are the offspring of Adam, and have never been enslaved, I'm um, excuse me, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. Now, if you know your Bible at all, you know that that's not true. The Jews were slaves several times. In fact, the story of the Jewish people is over and over and over again. God would get them out of slavery and they would worship God. They would submit to God. They would follow God. And then their hearts would take them back to sin. They would enter into sin. And as a result of entering into sin, their dignity was stolen from them. And they would become slaves over and over and over again. That was the cycle of humanity. That was their cycle. And yet in this conversation with Jesus, their pride, their, their own self-image said, we've never been slaves. Isn't it interesting how we deny reality when we want to project our own strength? None of you ever do that, right? Come on. When our own, our own story of self becomes so disconnected from reality because we want to advocate for our own strength. How is it, they said to him, how is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, Jesus taught what has been this repeated pattern from Adam and Eve, what's been repeated all the way to us. When we sin, we become slaves to sin. Now, um, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when I'm understanding the gospel and, and, and a pastor or a preacher talks about the fact that we're all slaves just like Adam and Eve, my temptation is to say, well, I wasn't there. I would have known better than to eat of that tree. Like I am so much smarter than Adam and Eve would have been. 
I'm tempted like those people Jesus was talking to that day to say, hey, hang on a minute. I've never been a slave to anybody. I'm my own man. I can do my own thing. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm tempted to start making my own case. Anybody? Some of the husbands are like kind of looking at their wife, but they don't want to raise their hand right now. And the wives just have a big grin on their face. Some of us, some of us know that our natural response when we are challenged is to make our own case, to say, I've, I've never been a slave. I've never, I've never been. Some, some of you may be here today and you may say, Pastor Randy, I'm, I respect you, but I'm not a Christian. And, 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 or I don't necessarily believe that the Bible is the word of God. So all of the rules that exist in the Bible don't necessarily apply to me. Everything that is called right and wrong in the Bible. So I'm not a sinner. I've never sinned because I don't believe in sin and I don't believe in your religious idea of right and wrong. Okay, I, I, can, I can understand your argument, but let me ask you an an honest question that every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room can relate to this question. Have you ever known something was right and you did the other thing? Has there ever, ever, ever been in your life in which your own sense of morality, your own sense of right and wrong was violated by your, whether or not you're a Christian or not. There is not a single person in this room who would not have to admit at some time or another in my life, I have violated my own sense of right and wrong. Every one of us, every one of us are guilty. I don't have to quote you scripture to prove that to you because we all know it. We all know it in our own hearts. We all know it in our own minds. There's not a single one of us who are perfect. Every one of us have chosen the other at some time or another. Human history, biblical history proves the point that we all at one time or another choose the lie. We choose to lie to ourselves. We choose to lie to others. We all bite the apple. We all exchange glory for the promise of something better. We all exchange the the, the life being in the image of God for what we think is on the other side of that boundary that we don't like. Every one of us in this room have chosen the apple. We don't really know if it was an apple, by the way, just so you know. We've all chosen the fruit. We've all chosen to say, I can do it better. I know better. The problem is, is that on the other side of that choice, when we have violated our sense of right and wrong, and certainly what God has taught us, for those of us who believe in him and believe in his word, what God has taught us by his word is right and wrong and what his spirit testifies to our spirit. Every one of us have crossed that line and we know what's on the other side of that line. See, dignity is lost when identity is no longer rooted in truth. When I violate my truth, I abdicate my dignity. Even if your truth isn't my truth, Every one of us have violated our own truth at one time or another. And as a result of violating our own truth, we have abdicated, we have abdicated our dignity. We've given it up. We've said no to it. We crossed that line. And so all of us in this room carry, we carry the weight. We're, we're bent over by the weight of our own guilt and our own shame. 
Every one of us in this room have believed the lie, have chosen the lie, have given up on truth, have not followed truth. And so as a result, our identity, our identity as children of God have been given up. And so as a result, we're bent over and we're kept from walking straight with dignity as we were created. And the enemy of our soul wants to keep us there. He wants to keep us feeding on that lie. He wants us to keep lying to ourselves. He wants us to continue to lie to others. Most importantly, he wants us to shake our fist at God and lie to him. He wants us to shake our fist at God and say, you're, you're keeping something from me. I know there's something better. I know if I do it my way, I'll be fulfilled. Or keep us bent over in humiliation and failure. He wants to keep us in that life where we have to hide things from the people we love and those who are closest to us. He wants to keep us in that place where in our relationships where we're constantly scared. If they really know who I am, if they really know what I think, if I put my foot in my mouth too many times, they won't be my friend. They won't love me. They won't care about me. They won't be there for me. He wants to create insecurity and fear in our relationships with one another and ultimately in our relationship with God. Constantly putting on one mask after another. No pun intended. Constantly putting on one mask after another to isolate myself because I don't know. Will they really love me as I am? Will they really receive me as I am? We're bound in that place of humiliation, that place of shame and failure. Like Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned, we end up in that place where we are naked, where we're isolated, where we're ashamed, where we're running from the source of health and wellness and wholeness in our lives, where we're hiding from the relationships and the people who can really restore us and help us. We hide from connection. We hide, did you hear me? We hide from connection. We hide from relationship because of our shame, because of our guilt, because we're bent towards something that we seem like, it seems like we can never control. See, part of the confusion I, I pointed out for those people that Jesus was talking to that day, remember they were, they were Jews who had begun to believe in Jesus, and, and a part of their confusion was that they, they as Jewish people had ancestral connection to a promise, to a covenant that had been made between Abraham and God. And their identities was wrapped up in the dignity of that covenant that wasn't wasn't their covenant, it was their ancestors' covenant. And so they had developed their identity, especially as it related to the world around them, based on this promise and based on this covenant that they themselves were not keeping. And so as they were talking to Jesus, they said, Jesus, we're not slaves because we're children of Abraham. See, if you, if you go back and you to be children of Abraham. In fact, that was a lot of the conflict of the coming of the gospel is because Jesus was here to say the kingdom has come and it didn't come the way you think it was coming. Uh, connection to covenant, connection to promise wasn't about your biological ancestry. It's about your spiritual ancestry. To be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a child of Abraham has nothing to do with your biology. It has everything to do with your faith. It has everything to do with your heart. It has everything to do with your spirituality. 
See, these people were confused. What they didn't get was they thought being a child of Abraham was about their biology, but what Jesus wanted them to understand was that being a child of Abraham was a, was a walk of surrendered faith. Not who biologically gave birth to you, but who you were surrendered to spiritually. But one thing they were not wrong about was the dignity of those who were children of Abraham. One of the things I love to do in scripture is I love to take passages of scripture or stories in scripture that seem to contradict one another and study them to try to understand why why all of these years later now that this has been translated into English why is why does it seem like these passages contradict one another and so here on the one hand I just read to you a passage where Jesus said listen it's not about your biology as children of Abraham you got to understand that's not what it's about but I'm going to read another passage to you now where Jesus actually actually used the fact that this woman in the story was a child of Abraham as a way of validating what the work he was going to do in her life. Luke chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 10 through 16 to you. It's kind of a long passage, but I want you to, I want you to hear it all because there's a lot packed in here. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a, who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So on the passage that I read to you before, Jesus wanted them to understand, listen, it's not about your ancestry as, as biologically being connected to Abraham that's going to that's gonna create freedom in your life or that's going to give you dignity or identity. But here in this case, we see him, uh, do, see him doing a miracle in a woman's life. And actually, actually, he said, it is, her, it is her lineage as a child of Abraham that actually we should be doing. Now, validates the fact that in this synagogue, we, this is exactly what we should be doing. Now, when we read this story, we often think that the story is about the woman, Right? We read this story and we focus on the woman because she needed a miracle. And the woman is a part of the story, but the, the truth is the woman is actually, is actually secondary to the point of the story. The freedom of the woman, the healing of the woman's life is really secondary as to what the story is all about. We all know that when we read our Bibles, we, we read our Bibles in context, right? We don't just take a story out of the Bible and spiritualize it and make it mean whatever we want it to mean in our life. We don't just take a story out 
out of the Bible and say, hmm, what is God saying to me out of this story? That's not how the Bible works. The Bible isn't my slot machine. It's not my magic eight ball that I shake up and read and then pull a verse out and make it mean what I want. We all understand that, right? We read our Bibles in context. And so when you read this passage of Scripture, we need to understand what is the context. The context of Luke chapter 13 is that Jesus is confronting a group of people who've come to believe and have come to understand that they understand what the kingdom of God is about. And as you read Luke chapter 13, you see Jesus really, really um, coming at them in the area in which they have taken, they have taken their spirituality and they've, they've used it as a tool to control people. We understand that when you start chapter 13, uh, you begin to read the very first part of chapter 13. Some people come to Jesus and they, they tell him about a natural catastrophe that's happened and then a slaughter that's happened to people. Um, I, just a side note, put this in your notes. Uh, I'm not really a numerologist, but I want to show you something. I want to show you the beauty of how Scripture works. If you, in the beginning of the chapter, uh, the, Jesus tells a story about 18 people who died suddenly. And did you notice that in this story, 18 is, 18 is there two times? Did you notice that? Whenever you see a number that's repeated in, in a same story or a series of stories, you need to pay attention to that. 18 is the number that is often connected to slavery in Scripture. So if you go read the Old Testament, you're going to find that there are several times that connected to 18 is slavery. And so we, in our language here now, all these years later, we read it, and we don't always pick up on a lot of the nuances of Scripture. Jesus was building a story about freedom from slavery, and by using the number 18 repeatedly, the people there would have understood exactly what was going on. He was referring to slavery. So he starts out, and these people are judgmental. There's people who come to Jesus, and they're judgmental about people who died suddenly. They were religious people, and they said, well, what they're actually in essence saying is if, if these people, the, the, the past it because of their sin in their life. It marks with people who are being judgmental because, they're, because they think, oh, they died, something bad happened in their life. It must mean that they really don't know God. Jesus confronted that because he's challenging this idea that we are the judge. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, Jesus is predicting judgment that's going to come on Jerusalem and ultimately on all of those who do not trust him. So it goes from man judging others to actually talking about God ultimately being the judge. So that's the context of chapter 13. Jesus is trying to help them to understand where we fit in this sort of dynamic of judgment. Judgment isn't ours. It's not our responsibility. It's God's responsibility, and he certainly is going to execute it. As you go through this passage, what you see is Jesus teaching. He sees this woman. The Bible says that she's been bent over for 18 years. Can you imagine that? Walking around like this for 18 years. She could not straighten herself up for 18 years. For 18 years, she was stuck like this. Can you imagine going about your life like this all the time? Can you imagine? For 18 years. And, and Scripture specifically says that, that it, was, it was a spiritual attack on her life. Fascinatingly enough, the spiritual attack on her life was exhibiting itself, was manifesting itself, in a physical limitation in her life. 
Wow. For 18 years, for 18 years, she's walking around. There's a spiritual attack on her life. It's physically manifesting itself. This woman is a slave to this situation. 18, it's not a coincidence. She was a slave to this attack. She was a slave to this infirmity. Jesus sees her in the crowd. He's teaching. He's teaching. Sometime during his teaching, he sees the woman and he calls her forward. He says to the woman, hey, you're healed. He lays his hands on her. She straightens up. And then, and then the guy in charge, the synagogue leader, the religious leader gets ticked off. He says to the crowd, he doesn't even, he doesn't even confront Jesus. He says to the crowd, well, that's courage. You can be healed six days a week. If you want to be prayed for for healing, you come one of the other six days. The Sabbath is holy. Don't be healed on the Sabbath. The story that we read about the religious leader. It was about the one, it was about the one who was more concerned with the dignity, the pride, the image of doing things right on the Sabbath, was more concerned with that than he was concerned about this woman who was bound in slavery. The enemy of our soul desires to keep you and I in a place that delegitimizes us. That's his objective. That's what he wants to do. That woman had been delegitimized. She had been humbled. She had been humiliated for 18 years by a force that she could not control, by some outside force in her life. She had walked stooped over for 18 years. For 18 years, for 18 years, pornography has gripped me and I can't get free for it. For 18 years, alcoholism has, has gripped me. I can't. For 18 years, I've walked in guilt. I've walked in shame. I go to church. I go to synagogue every Sunday. And I'm bent over no matter how hard I try, I can't straighten up. Imagine it. Some of you don't have to imagine too hard because you understand it very intimately. For 18 years, tormented. And yet, the synagogue leader was more concerned about whether or not they were doing things right on the Sabbath. See, we, we have an enemy. Scripture teaches us that we have an enemy that wants to do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy. He, he wants to humiliate us. That's his, that's his entire purpose, his entire aim. He hates you because you were created in the image of God, and he's jealous of you, and so he wants to destroy you. He can't destroy you, so what does he want to do? He wants to humiliate you. Please understand your Bible. Please understand that this is what Scripture teaches us. The enemy of our soul was so jealous that we were created in the image of God, and he was not. He led a rebellion in heaven, was cast out, all because he hated you and want what you have that he can never have. Because he was not created in the image of God, you were. He hates you because you look like your daddy. He hates you because you look like your mama. He hates you because you look like the one who created you. You were created in God's image, and he despised you for it. And so he wants to do everything he can to destroy your image, your image of yourself, your image that you project to others. He wants to delegitimize you. He wants to stoop you over. And the sad thing is, the sad thing is, 
since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you and I have all carried that same spiritual DNA that our mother and father carried. And as a result, we find a nature, been the nature with our human nature, our sin nature. Human nature bends us toward a line. That man was the religious leader that undermined the Imago Dei. That man was the religious leader. If there was anyone who should have been compassionately concerned about her infirmity, if there was anyone who should have agreed with the work of God, with the work of restoration in our life, it should have been him, but he didn't. He was more concerned about his image, his role, his reputation as the leader of the synagogue and the Sabbath being kept and everything being done right. Jesus confronted him and he called him a hypocrite. He called everyone there a hypocrite that day. He said, you know good and well that you untie your donkey. You know good and well that you wouldn't even allow your animal to go without water on the Sabbath. And yet this daughter of Abraham, this one who is loved by God, this one that has been chosen by God, you would rather choose to see her continue in her infirmity than you would challenge your own sense of right and wrong that you were never created for to begin with. See, that boundary that existed in the Garden of Eden was the boundary. You and I were not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it is not within us. We are not capable of judging. Have you ever wondered why it is that we feel a natural tendency to tear others down so that we can be lifted up? Have you ever kind of made a little comment about somebody? To make them look a little smaller? Everybody just needs to know this about him. I mean, after all, they think he's so great. I can't tell you how many times. Pastor, I just think you should know this about brother so-and-so. Why do, why do I need to know that about them? At work, we, we, we just, we, it's just in us, right? We feel the need to expose the other person because here's what happens. By exposing the other person, it makes us feel a little bit better about what's wrong with us. I'm glad there's saints here today because me and the three other people who are getting this this morning, there's something about human nature, you study it from the beginning of Scripture forward. Human beings, like our mother Eve and our father Adam, who relinquished their dignity to Satan and followed in fling dignity, this pattern, the pattern of jealousy, the pattern of stealing dignity, follow in, in the robbing dignity of others so that he could be elevated. We follow in, in that pattern, we continue. And... And what is super scary is that here's what we do. We use our own self-righteousness as an insulation, insulation or an excuse for tearing others down. Well, Jesus, this is the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. So this lady needs to stay in her infirmity, this 
this poor bent over woman, she needs to stay in her infirmity because today's not the day that we, that we do healings here. It's better for her to stay bent, to stay broken, to stay in shame, and to stay in guilt because this is what's right for today. And by doing it right today, by following all the rules, I'm validating myself. By following all the rules, I'm projecting that I have dignity. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a chosen person. I keep the law. We use our own self-righteousness as an excuse to put other people down, to keep other people in their place. And it's all because we're feeding into this cycle, the cycle of coming into alignment, of undermining the image of God in others because the image of God has been undermined in us. I'm bent over, so you should be too. I didn't get the promotion, so you shouldn't get it either. My marriage is struggling, so yours should also. It's not fair. It's not fair. This has happened in my life, so you should experience it as well. We become more aligned with brokenness than we are aligned with wholeness, goodness, the nature of God. We exchange, we exchange willingly glory for agony. And we justify it. We justify it with our own righteousness. I'm doing the right thing. Sin causes us to align ourselves with forces that hold people in their own bondage and reinforces our bondage. Sin causes us to align with things, mindsets, mentality, causes that rob people of their dignity and then we justify it. How often in Scripture... How often in Scripture do we see the hero, the the good guy? How often do we see in in Scripture and in history, do we see the good guys align? Ultimately, history has taught us, being able to look back, the that kept other people in bondage. How many times do we have to see that? To not understand that it is our human nature, that it is a part of, of sin and what sin has done to us and how sin has corrupted us to cause us to continually seek dignity for ourselves at the expense of someone else. See, the story of the gospel, the story of the kingdom of God is that my dignity doesn't cost you anything. Man, you got to get this. I don't know if I'm doing a good job, but you got to get this. You got to get this. Satan, Satan's dignity, his pride, what he wanted had to come at the expense of me and you. And so anytime that my heart believes that I have to take from somebody else who's been created in the image of God to add to my image, I am aligning myself with the spirit of Antichrist. I'm aligning myself with the enemy. I'm not aligning myself with the heart of God. The heart of God says, you are my child. You've been created in my image. Everything that I have is yours, and it doesn't cost anybody anything else because I paid the price that no one else could pay. Wow, that's good preaching, man. That's good preaching. That's the gospel. The check was written. 
in the garden. The deficit was created. The people of God, the Jewish people, Christians since then have been trying so hard, so desperately to pay the bill themselves. And the sad thing about a religious spirit and a religious heart is that it aligns itself with the enemy that continues to try to pay the price in our own works, our own self-image, our own celebrity mentality, building up our image at the expense, the cost of others. What Jesus wanted those who were following him to understand is, listen, the gospel, the gospel makes it very clear. Just as he demonstrated with that woman, he demonstrates towards you and I. I know the enemy has bent you over. He has bound you. He has kept you in a place. He's kept you in slavery for a long period of time. I know that. I understand it. I see you. I see you. He sees you this morning. And he's calling you out. He's calling you forward. Imagine what it must have been like for that lady. She just came to synagogue even though she was humiliated. Even though you know because we've read enough from scripture to understand that anytime anyone was going through anything physical or had dealt with any difficulty from a Jewish mindset, it must have been because they themselves were sinners or they had done something wrong. So everywhere she walked, people were judging her. What's wrong with her, that lady? It must be that way because she committed sin. She must be that way because there's something wrong with her and so no when she came to synagogue that day everyone was looking at her they were having to make room for her they didn't want to get whatever she had Jesus saw her and then he called her forward he didn't ignore her for 18 years people had judged her they had ignored her they didn't want to be around her why would you Jesus called her forward when he saw her. He said, hey, come here. See, Jesus calls us. He's calling you and he's calling me to come into agreement with the identity that he's created us for. He's calling us forward into dignity. He's calling us out of that which has held us in bondage, that which has bent us over. He's calling us forward just like he he called that woman forward. And, And notice, I love this. He said, woman, you're free. He, did, he hadn't touched her yet. He hadn't done anything. He called her forward and said, listen, as a result of the fact that you are a child of Abraham. Now, you understand the theology of Jesus. It didn't have anything to do with her biology. It had everything to do with her faith. Oh, for 18 years, she came to church bent over. For 18 years, she lived her life bent over. For 18 years, she walked with that infirmity. She dealt with the attack of the enemy, and yet she was at the synagogue that day, and she still believed in a God who met his people. And Jesus said, because of that faith, because of who you are, because of what's going on inside of you spiritually, woman, understand, you're already made whole. her and she stood up straight Jesus is calling me and he's calling you to come into alignment with what is already true about us 
See, this is our dignity is that we have been created in the image of God. And what is true about me, what is true about me is that I'm not an addict. What is true about me is that I'm not broken. What is true about me is that I'm I'm not confused. I'm not confused about my sexuality. What's what's true about me is that pornography doesn't control my life. What is true about me is that that out about me is it, it, it doesn't define who I am. What what is true about me and myself, my spite of the abuse or in spite of what's been done to me or in spite of what I have done myself, my, my promiscuity doesn't define me. It doesn't make me who I am. What is true about me is that I'm not a failure. What is true about me is that I'm not broken. What is true about me is that I am a child of God. That is my identity. God has said that about me. So now the way the kingdom of God works is Jesus says, come here. Stand up. Stand up. Straighten up. This isn't about right and wrong. This is about your dignity. This is about aligning how you live with who you are. Some of us, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, but we're still walking around hunched over because we're not aligning how we live with who we are. And there are religious people and other judgmental people and other people in our lives that may have nothing to do with the church and religion who constantly want to push us down, who constantly want to bend us over, who wants to constantly say to us, you know what, that's how you belong. You can't be healed. You can't be whole. You can't be new. You can't be different. They want to constantly keep us in that place. And Jesus says, nope. Stand up, straighten your spine, set your shoulders, live, live with who you are. Ten challenges of the people that do. How are you going to align? How are you going to align with this woman? Are you going to tell her to bend back over because it was the wrong day of the week? Are you going to remind her of the last 18 years of hell that she's lived through just because it makes you feel better? Or or are you going to come into agreement with her identity as a child of Abraham and agree that she should be free. Church, I believe the Lord is calling us here at North Place to take a stand in our community to begin to speak to who God has called people to be. Not to, their, not to come into agreement, come into agreement with their infirmity. When Desiree and I were having the conversation on on prayer a few weeks ago and we were talking here on stage we've got to learn to pray and confess and declare the word of God over people not what the enemy has said about people oh I'm I understand you still take drugs but you're not a drug addict oh pastor you're just disconnected from reality yes I'm coming into alignment with kingdom reality 
That's what I do as a person of faith. That's what it means to be a child of Abraham. Abraham, who was a man who said, you know what, God, I believe in you. Not whether or not I keep the rules, come to church, do all the stuff. Being a Christian has nothing to do with keeping the rules. It has everything to do with who do I believe in. See, and here's the thing. When I believe in him, the rules are not a problem for me. The boundaries that he establishes for my life are not a problem for me because life in the garden is good, baby. It's good in the garden. I don't need what's on the other side of that boundary. That's not a problem for me. Keeping the rules don't define me. The freedom that I have because of him defines me, and it's how I choose to define you. You may not do it right. You may not say it right. But I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Scripture teaches me that he loves you that he created and designed you. And he has a purpose and a destiny for you. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I make the choice to come into alignment with what God has said about you, not what the enemy decides or is determined to do in your life. So as believers, that chapter is all about. As believers, what are we coming into alignment with? The kingdom of God? Or the spirit of antichrist which is at work in this age? Are we coming into agreement with the alignment of the enemy that is jealous and hateful and mean and rude and and desires nothing more than to destroy? I believe, I believe that our faith, our faith transforms our confession about ourselves and about others. It transforms the way I look at the world. I no longer look at it this way. I look at it this way.